0: Well, you know, Straight. I did. Did I make a mistake um, asking you on? Because I'm getting all these sort of worrisome uh, chats you. about you only I have 25 told- cents you're on a payphone. Shag has a restraining order out against you. I'm con- you're doom. You're doc- uh, you know, Doctor Doom right now um, up there. So With,
1: you know, Shag. He's jealous. Let's just put it that okay. way. Okay. No, uh, you know I've met Shag <laughs> twice, and the weird thing was, my wife actually likes him. That's the oh, part wow. I don't understand. That, I mean, yeah. I don't think she liked
0: him. <laughs> I'm sure fun, when she fun, left, fun. that he said that she was uh, she was hot.
1: Exact, exact. See. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: If I was a sculptor, then again, no Or a man who makes potions in the traveling show I know it's not much, but it's the best I can do My gift is my song and this one's for you and you can tell everybody This is a song It may be quite simple But now that it's done I hope it don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down in the works How wonderful life is While you're in
0: So, let's say I'm your host, Stella, and this is Backro the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 114 for February MMXVI. And Backro the Oracle is brought to you by Relatively Geeky Presents Short Box Showcase.
1: This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again, may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin.
3: Black Lightning.
1: White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this of how they spoke at length. This continuity
3: is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over.
1: But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time
3: flash of two earths by gardner fox
1: this is an imaginary podcast aren't they all short box showcase is part of the relatively geeky family of podcasts check us out on the web at relatively or search on itunes for relatively geeky or short box showcase and remember we're not experts
0: we're just family Backroll the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. But hey, if you're not into the vintage stock, that's okay, because Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are April's backroll 51 and Gotham Academy number 17, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Backroll the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Well, you know, I'm trying to sort of raise the IQ points of my co-hosts. And I think relatively, I have intelligent people, but I decided that I really needed to bring someone on that had an interesting title attached to his name. And I'm also a fan of his voice. I just think it's very soothing. I enjoy listening to him. So welcome to the show for the first time, Professor Allen. Soothing. Soothing, yes. That
1: means... That means puts you right to sleep. No, no, I no. Got, I got you, Stella. No, I got
0: you. No. I got you. you have character in your voice. I like it. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, I just want to say this. Okay. That I was once a subscriber to the Mile High Comics <gasps> nice subscription service back probably before you were reading, maybe before you were born.
0: Oh, no. I had no idea it was it around was, that long.
1: <clears throat> It was a long time ago. Let's okay. just leave it at that, okay? Okay. <laughs> and, and and let me just say, okay. 25 to 30 years ago, yeah. very high-quality service.
0: I, I, I feel can like vouch it's... for the
1: work that decades ago.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's still a pretty high-quality I mean, quality
1: I'm, I'm, and I'm sure it's still good.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so could you tell me and tell listeners who, are not, who don't know you, how did you get this professor title?
1: Um, advanced degrees, okay. and the kindness of the people and taxpayers of the state of Ohio.
0: Okay. So who well, hired me
1: to teach I actually teach business and finance. Okay. here in, uh, in an, actual, an actual tenured professor at an actual university in the American Midwest.
0: So, okay, I I can go along with that, but do you think it's right to sort of lead people on? Because I feel like you should be a professor of comics, but you're bringing your professor title over from the education system into the podcast world. Do you think that's fair for listeners?
1: No. (laughs) I mean, yes. What kind of question is this? (laughs) No, Shag said you were tough. Oh, no. Shag said you were a tough interviewer. I said no. She seems like a sweetheart, but you know he was right. <laughs> this is a grilling.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. One question? Yes, because, and
1: it's I, because I do attempt as, as I say on the the show I host with my daughter, Shortbox Showcase, that uh, you know we do. Uh
6: oh.
1: Wait, wait. It's going to ring a few more times.
6: <laughs> Gosh, is it shag?
1: Wait, one more. One more. Okay, so like I was saying before uh-huh. Shag called to interrupt me, yes, that uh, we attempt to bring sort of a semi-intellectual pseudo-academic
7: mm-hmm.
1: approach to comics, mostly okay. on the semi and the pseudo. Mm-hmm. I, I like to I, I I like to use big words. Okay. No, oh, but I think you can take comics seriously. And oh, I think so too.
0: Seriously. I think so, too. I just don't know if you're leading listeners on. They think that you, you've got this PhD or something in comics and history, and really it's not. Oh, I
1: wish there were. Wouldn't that be awesome?
0: <laughs> it would be awesome, yes. would be
1: great. As I said, there, there are some people who are doing academic work in comics of all types mm-hmm. and in other areas of pop culture. So in a generation or two from now, mm-hmm. perhaps there will be a professor of comics. There but for know. now, you know. If I have to be that, that'll be okay.
0: Okay. What is your history with comics? How did you get into them? If you can remember, Probably, that far back.
1: Oh well, I remember the cave paintings, the hieroglyphs. <laughs> when we when we moved from that, that was sort of the original trade paperback of the day. Okay. No, uh, you know, I just just was uh, read comics as a kid throughout uh, throughout high school. Had a couple comic book buddies mm-hmm. in high school. Uh, then when I eh, read throughout college as well, then when I became theoretically an adult and got married, and Emily came along, mm-hmm. I decided to put away childish things. Fortunately, that only lasted about ten years. Okay. But I did take I, I did take a hiatus from comics. Unfortunately, it was the nineties that I missed. Mm. Which is really, if you're going to miss a decade, that's a pretty good one to pick. Then I got back into comics probably about ten years ago now, largely through podcasts. Mm. And now I uh, now I uh, spend my time haunting the cheapest stacks of comics that I can find, looking <laughs> for those twenty five cent bargains.
0: Yes, you do, and you're able to find them for whatever reason.
1: I've had I've had pretty good luck as as most of the. Books that I've covered on the Quarterbin podcast can attest to. Mm-hmm. There are a few clunkers that even at 25 cents, they're, they're borderline worth it.
0: There were like that Kurok?
1: Yeah, that's close. Kurok <laughs> T- T- was close. There were a couple others that were a little shaky along the way. Yeah. But mostly, but mostly. Very good and certainly uh, certainly better than the 3 or $4 that I pay for the For the new books that I do subscribe to.
0: Right, yeah. Well, what's your history with... uh... That's a challenge. Oh, yeah. I I totally get you there. What's your history with Batman and Batgirl specifically, if you have a history with them?
1: Well, I've I've talked a little bit about this before elsewhere, but my image of Batman and the Mm -hmm. Bat family is a combo of the reruns of the 60s show and uh, Batman family issues that you covered a few years back. Mm -hmm. Those were... uh, those were new books for me. And and the hardcover book, Batman from the 30s to the 70s. And that's that's a hardcover that I discussed with Mike Bailey over in uh, Bailey's Batman podcast. Mm-hmm. I think it was the final episode. I don't think I killed his show.
0: Oh, gosh. But it
1: sort of worked out that way. It's just a hiatus. But, but I mean, the nice thing is you go to the website and – that's the first show. <laughs> you know, that's the most recent show. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it might be for a really long time. Anyway, because, you know that volume of Batman from the 30s to the 70s had some Betty Kane bat hyphen girl mm-hmm. stories in it.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it also had the, the, the origin of Babs, the epic battle against Killer Moth. Now, obviously I knew that those were two different characters and all that, but in my 8 or 10 or 12 year old brain, all those versions of Batgirl, including Yvonne Craig, mm-hmm. sort of all get, you know, smooshed together in my mind. So between the, again, the 66 show, Batman from the 30s to the 70s, some of those Batman family stories, so you no, know, Batgirl, I, I, I realized, you know, recognize that that character is an important part of the Bat family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, consider myself a fan. And I certainly think that Oracle is one of the most important characters, you know, for the last couple of decades.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so if you were to pick between uh, Babs and oh, and, Oracle, and,
1: uh, and Oh, Oracle. Okay, okay. Or, yeah. Though, you know, Babs is hot e-e- either way.
0: Oh, gosh. So,
1: sorry, I just, got, I just got a text from Shag. I didn't Oh, I didn't my. That. No, I'm I, I'm an Oracle fan. I don't know if you are watching the Arrow I am. TV show. Yep, but they are pushing a little bit potentially, or at least I, I think maybe homaging that um, a little bit with the character Felicity.
0: I'd say more than and a little uh, bit. You've got Calculator yeah, on there.
1: That's true. Yeah, that's true. But about a year ago, Emily and I did a you know TV episode of Shortbox Showcase, mm-hmm. and we pitched an identity crisis type of story mm. that would have ended would have ended with Felicity in the chair as Oracle. So, I mean, you know, we aren't exactly there in the CW-verse, and, but part of our ideas have happened. So, you know, I, th- I, th- I think they've been listening to us.
0: They must have. Yep. I mean, I you're mean, Professor Allen. Just a little bit. I mean, of course. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> you know, but also o- over on the Arrowverse, mm-hmm. I know we're supposed to be talking about comics, but – over on the Arrowverse. They've got this Oracle analog. They also have a couple of canaries. There's a hawk girl over there. Mm-hmm. They had Huntress. Vixen is coming. They have the makings of some Birds of Prey episodes.
0: As- yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and you know, because Emily and I just want a live-action version of that team. Mm-hmm. Partly to clear out the bad memories of the one time they did a Birds of Prey series. Oh, and. The less said about that one, the better.
7: Yeah.
0: I think there are some good moments in that series.
1: <laughs> I, I, I would totally agree that out of 13 episodes, there are a few good moments.
0: Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> y- you brought up something funny because you said that you skipped the, the decade of the 90s, and that is where I am smack dab in the middle – and I hear these rumblings, I don't exactly. sort of get into it a lot, but I hear rumblings of people really not enjoying the 90s era of, of Batman. And I was wondering if you had any insight as to why, or what your thoughts are on this era, why did you skip it, and, you know, maybe if you would ever revisit again.
1: Now, of course, when, when we say the 90s, yeah, we really don't mean January 1st, 1990 to December 31st, 1999. Okay. <laughs> you know, the 90s. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, in 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 terms of what makes the '90s the '90s,
7: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's sort of you know really around this era, the the mid '90s into the early 2000s, I I, I would say. And uh, now I, I I I I may have led you astray just a little bit. Oh boy! Because I actually had these books in my collection. Mm. So so I was reading. I read through night's quest the night's end et cetera etc mm-hmm. and 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 all of that, but it was shortly after this um i think around five five or ten issues from here is is about when i when i stopped and i don't know if there was anything in particular uh, other than and at the time other than trying to be a grown up and all that but i you know i i, I do think that in in retrospect you know it's it's a combination of starting to get darker, starting to get more extreme, <laughs> and all of, the, all of those elements that, uh-huh. that sort of uh, put a little biased expression that infected <laughs> comic books during that era mm-hmm. that, uh, that turned people off.
0: That's funny because you're not the only person who says extreme because Tom Paneris also mentions exactly. the extremity exactly. of it exactly. all. So, yeah, I just wondered. I'm you know – I've been reading more about Batman and really getting more involved in his history. And I just finished the trilogy of Night's Quest um, – well, Nightfall, Night Quest, Night's End. And here I am, of course, here sort of in the middle – uh, just having read Prodigal and all of that. So I'm actually enjoying it, um, and I'm just sort of puzzled as to why people have dropped off. But maybe I'll hit a point where I understand fully why uh, people don't <laughs> like the extremeness of it all. Well, we're here to talk about two nineties 90s comics, uh, and one of them we're going to gloss over, and that's Azrael number 5, and then the other one, Batman 520, which is the one that uh, Professor Allen said he has in his collection. He's not a ashamed to say it we're actually really going to dive into it because uh, i think there's just a lot to pull apart and it was just a really great story at least i thought so i have no idea what my co-host thinks but for asriel um i'm not really going to go into a big review but i want to set up what's going on and barbara gordon as oracle is going to actually pop up in asriel's run several times and specifically, she pops up in Azrael number five. But since we last met him, which was at the end of, you know, the trilogy, the Knight's trilogy, he's now living on the streets as a homeless man. He's hallucinating because of the system messing with his mind. He has memory loss. And Batman, on the other side, wants to sort of wash his hands of the guilt and uh, that, you know, he picked Jean-Paul for. To be Batman. So he ends up taking John Paul to the headquarters of the Order of Saint Dumas and he tells him to contact Oracle if he needs to know anything. So there's sort of that transition there. And Batman says, Nobody on this planet has more information, which I thought was great. So John Paul learns more about the Order. He gets a new costume and sword. And then we've got this sort of evil character, though later on maybe not so evil, named Sister Lilhi. And she seems to want to take control of the Order, so she's using John paul there. Uh, He fights and kills a newer Asriel. He becomes Asriel again. And then all the while, we've got sort of his partner or sidekick, uh, another, like a drunken, homeless man. And he's along for the ride, and his name is Brian Brian. The first Brian is BRI, and the second Brian is BRY, so that is his name. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's up with that, but he's accompanying him on all these adventures. And this is just like a, a survey of issues one through five. So then when we get to Azrael 5, which is Fallen Angel Part Five, The Abduction, it came out in June 1995, and Dennis O'Neill was the writer, penciler was Barry Kitson, inker James Pasco and colors Demetrius Basukos. And so basically as a short summary, Azrael, he, and Brian Brian escape the order. They set out to find the place where the system, which is the thing that controls Jean Paul, is taught and learned in Mobari, Northern Africa. And Azrael contacts Oracle, so this is where she pops up for help on how to get there. And she helps him charter a plane. And then she also relays all the information on, you know, what is Ezrael doing to Batman. And at the end of this issue, we find out that that particular area in northern Africa is actually controlled by Raish or Raz Al Ghul. And so really the main intention of the story, uh, it seems, is that Jean-Paul just wants better control of the system. So that's what I found from that. So just a couple panels. She doesn't play a main role, as she does in this next issue we're going to cover. But I do actually have to say that reading the first five issues of the story, I thought it was going to be a task. wasn't really interested in reading about Azrael, But I found that it was actually uh, somewhat fun and i enjoyed it so who knows if i'll continue on or not do you professor allen have any history with with azriel there's my first question and then my second question is do you have a preference between the pronunciation of Ghul or Ghul?
1: that's a tough one to me it's always been somewhere in the area of ras to raz to raz some some <laughs> okay. combination of pronunciation uh-huh. in, in in that area i i i I don't like the sh okay. at the end. Okay. Rayshir rosh. Ra- 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 okay. Not, not a fan of that. I cannot explain why. Other than that, when I ran into him, when I was just a wee lad, <laughs> it was it was Raz or Raz. Okay. Probably somewhere in in, in the Raz. So I've been pronouncing it that way for a few decades.
0: I probably centuries. By a few, I, I, I mean, like. mean many. Yes. I apparently, had no idea. <laughs>
1: The only the only Azrael I've read is I believe it's Azriel
8: ten, okay.
1: which is an Underworld Unleashed tie-in. Mm-hmm. So really, somewhat and and that one was somewhat out of continuity. Really, it didn't even feature Jean Paul. It featured a sort of a different Azrael-like character. So other than just knowing him through the the Knights' stories and and being sort of just culturally aware of of of, of who he is through that. Uh, I have not read any of his, with the exception of that one issue, any of his his solo title.
0: Okay. Did you pay 25 cents for that solo issue?
1: Yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I did. <laughs>
0: oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh. Okay. Well, enough about Asriel. This is sort of the main event here. And this is Batman 520. And the title is Fades to Black. Writer is Doug Mensch, artist Eduardo Barreto, colorist Greg Wright. And the cover date is 1995. And I did have a quote because I felt like it almost sums it all up. It's from Batman. He says, mother, father, love is not enough. They're everywhere and their work is too random. I can only find so many and I can never stop them all. I failed you. But in your names, in your memory, I will never stop trying. So as a brief, I know, isn't that a beautiful, beautiful sentiment there? As a very brief summary, because we're just really going to, I think, discuss this thoroughly, Batman remembers his vows to his parents and he tracks down or tries to track down Black Mask since he saved him from a murderer, but he knows that Black Mask himself could and probably will murder others. Commissioner Gordon struggles with personal and professional issues, both with Sarah Essen, since now she's acting commissioner once he left following the events and building mistrust of Batman during Nightfall and Prodigal. And then Harvey Bullock goes out on the first date of his life with the nurse that took care of him once he was injured during the events of Troika, and sadly, the date ends in tragedy. So this is sort of what's it what is it all about. And uh yeah. yeah.
1: This is an emotionally intense issue.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I thought we could start at the beginning, uh which is the cover and uh what you thought about the cover and maybe also the uh the inside art. So the cover is by Kelly Jones. You sir brought to my attention that it was on a list. So what was that list?
1: Yeah, it was uh, I think it was complex.com whatever that is, but it was a <laughs> list of the fifth a list of 50 iconic i think was the word they used iconic images mm-hmm. of Batman all time and this cover was was one of them. Yeah. Number number 39 on the list.
7: Yeah.
1: And it's, you know, it 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 is intense. Mm-hmm. It's it's it is attention getting. Mm-hmm. It's it's moody. In general, I'm not really a fan of Kelly Jones's art. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I, I don't like and face but this cover doesn't you know you don't have to worry about that on the cover. Yeah. His uh yeah. His, his cape and his cowl are, are covering that up. So it works and again it's certainly moody and it's certainly attention getting and I think that for a cover in 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 my mind a cover you can there's more leeway in terms of it's okay to be unrealistic mm-hmm. in a cover. That that's as opposed to in the internal storytelling mm-hmm. of the book. And so I think the unreality of a cover, again, in 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 my interpretation, does lead more to Jones' strength. I mean, this cape has so many scallops and folds mm-hmm. and so much fabric. Uh, <laughs> but that thing must weigh. I I, I don't even want to f- figure out how how much it weighs or how much fabric that actually is or how long his ears actually are. Yes. But as a one-time image, it works, Mm -hmm. I I, I think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think – well, it's sort of emblematic of the new costume. When he returned from Prodigal, he put on sort of this new costume, and he seemed more beast than man. So I think you have that here, especially you brought up the point that you can't even see his face. So it's like there's not even a human there. And put that on top of the fact that he's standing on top of a gargoyle, and I just looked at his feet, and they sort of look like Rumple Stillskin shoes. <laughs> I wonder about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think it's it's certainly it really matches the tone at least of his journey within the book because there are sort of several tones I think that run throughout here. But just sort of the vengeance and the quest that he's going on, I think it it really shows that there.
1: Yeah, I like 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 I said. I I I like Jones as a cover artist mm-hmm. but I, I am glad that for this one that Eduardo Barreto was doing the art on the inside. Yeah. You know, just in terms of my in in terms of my taste.
0: Mhm. What did you think about the uh internal art?
1: I thought it was solid. I thought most of his characters are dis- are distinctive. Mm-hmm. I especially liked I especially liked his uh his Bullock. Oh yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. sort of picture perfect of what I want Absolutely. Bullock to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, i thought i thought uh, bats himself was 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 pretty strong mm-hmm.
0: yeah i liked the the, the shading the commissioner
1: too. looked like the commissioner should yes it was a lot of yeah. it was a, it was a lot of atmospheric
7: mm-hmm.
1: and i'm not totally sure but it appeared that the entire story took place at night that seemed to be what was happening at 519 as well mm-hmm. it's like batman doesn't go out in the day so it's which funny. is okay <laughs> yeah the only there's the only part of the art I didn't like, I'll save it until we talk about Babs. That's all I can say. Okay. Spoilers.
0: Well, I was going to say something about that. I, I didn't like her haircut, her hair design. That's, that's what I
1: was going to say. Okay. Yeah. I, it's sort of a bowl cut. I was not yeah. really a fan of that.
0: And it and if look you right. look sort of at the issues around it, I mean, this is not her hairstyle. So it seems like a sort of a one-issue okay. design choice that, you know, let's do this. Right. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's one of the things you get when you get a fill-in artist. hmm Every now and then you're going to get an anomaly. You're going to get something that doesn't fit in with the flow of what's happened before and after. Mm-hmm.
0: Now for me when I was reading this, uh, even though I'm I'm somewhat versed in Batman and everything, this really felt like a one shot to me. Like I felt like I could have jumped in and besides the Troika reference where uh Harvey Bulk is injured at the end of that uh four arc, four issue arc, and then the other stuff with Jim and White isn't he commissioner, I felt like everything new reader friendly almost, you know, you could pop in and it's just like a one off right. issue. Did you have that, that uh same feeling that it was you know, you could just dive in, it's a story all on its own?
1: Yeah, yeah, I happen to have like I said, some around this. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I read five nineteen mm-hmm. as well for context, but certainly didn't need to. You know, I, like you said, five twenty, it explains where we are in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going after the, the black mask. Right. But even that, you know, he explains what had happened last issue. Mm-hmm. That he let, you know uh, and and, and that, that's tormenting and but we get that fully explained. And then in terms of the of the subplots between what's happening with the Gordons, you know, that were were pretty well brought up brought up to speed mm-hmm. with what's going on there. And then with, with Harvey and his girlfriend. Oh
0: Yeah. Super tragic.
1: You know, we get you know, we get a full you know, we, we get that story literally coming to an end.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: You know, so you 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 really could read this as a standalone.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I felt like, and you can disagree with me, that love was sort of the theme that permeated all three of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's an interesting theme, I think, for Batman. Because you know vengeance or some justice, something like that, so what did you think about <laughs> right. love in all of its forms because there there was sort of a burgeoning love, there was love and devotion towards people who have passed, and then a struggling love between uh Jim and Sarah and things like that what What did you think about this being the sort of the central theme that tied all the stories together?
1: Well, I hadn't thought about that when, as I was reading it, but that makes perfect sense, and i think I think that really is you know whether. Mench sort of intended that uh-huh. all all along, or just sort of noticed that that's where some of the plot lines were going, mm-hmm. and decided to really steer into that for the whole issue. I like that because we get uh, obviously you know Bruce being tormented mm-hmm. by his or, 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 or by, by his past, and rededicating. Then there's a sense of of, of love and devotion mm-hmm. uh, there, and certainly with uh, the commissioners, Gordon. Yep. And then even with uh, even when we talk about Babs mm-hmm. and her dad, yeah, I think that's nice there. And 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 of course, most clearly or most traditionally in in the uh, sad story of Harvey.
7: Yes,
0: absolutely. Do you think that uh, Batman's story? Do you think it was about love for his parents or just duty and vengeance?
1: Well, I, th- I think in, in this issue in particular, I, I I think there there's some love aspect there, mm-hmm. and. And and I liked I liked this take on Batman's mission statement. Mm-hmm. And and his mission statement changes every now and then. It's been seventy five years. Yeah. But I like this take on the mission statement, where it's not just about finding Joe Chill mm-hmm. or whoever murdered his parents, in, in whatever iteration of the story that 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 we're in. But it's about making sure that no other child. Goes through what he has to go through, mm-hmm. and to me, that's a more that that is a more positive approach to his mission statement. Mm-hmm. Other than vengeance right. or even justice, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about not about making sure this doesn't happen to anyone else, mm-hmm. and I, I I like that. Just to me, that's a somewhat more positive spin
0: yeah and I like how at the beginning that well which I guess happened really in five nineteen but he even rescued a murderer and he's even he's sort of reconciling himself with that that just mm-hmm. the fact that right. all life I think is precious, and so even mm-hmm. black mass life he's going to save, but now of course he has to deal with that because there's always a cause right. and effect, and he's got to fix that somehow so i i right. do like that always that,
7: consequences
0: absolutely yeah and he, he struggles with that i like how you sort of see him struggling at the beginning and the end so you have i think bruce wayne sort of book book ending the story and then you have mm-hmm. got batman yeah. and his fight all throughout so it, it's nice to see different degrees of bruce wayne and batman yeah, in I, here.
1: I, I, I think it's a very well structured 22 page story
0: absolutely yep uh so let's talk about harvey poor Harvey you don't often I know (laughs) you don't often see him in this particular light I mean sometimes you see him as a goofball and everything but I feel like you, you got a really uh, a personal hint and look at him and, and you got to see him being goofy because he had a crush on a girl and being sweet and everything. So what did you think about his characterization? And then if you want to, you can also talk about their date, but of course not happening to the uh, – <laughs> don't move on to the tragedy just yet.
1: Well, you know, we've all had bad first dates.
0: <laughs> Do you think that was a bad
1: first date? This, th- oh, you know, in the pantheon <laughs> of first dates. I think this one counts as pretty bad. Oh. Uh, no. But, you know, but I, I, as I was reading through this, I was thinking because the ending took me by surprise. Right. Yeah. I had no recollection of that. It's uh-huh. been 20 plus years since I read it, whatever. And so I'm thinking, you know, I really like Nurse Charlotte. She is so cool. She's funny. She's not going to take his crap. Yep. She's, you know, she, she's t- tough enough to stand up to him. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yep. I liked her. I liked them. Yep. I I like the fact that he bought a bag of donuts as a backup, <laughs> just in case the date didn't go well. Yeah. So he was he was prepared to and do, I was gonna say drown his sorrows, but he was he was prepared to eat his sorrows.
0: Yep. There you go.
1: And you know in the uh, in the Batman verse, you should never go to the movies. That's clearly the message that's being sent here. I guess. Never see they went on a first date to a movie. Yeah. Movie movie plus bat story equals tragedy
0: equals tragedy yeah it's pretty sad and you know i was thinking about that just as um you know he was reaching into his pocket and i thought man you could sort of put martha and uh thomas there <laughs> and it's almost very similar I was,
1: say, I, was, I was i was i was hoping they you know went to see you know zoro returns yeah. or something but oh, no yeah it was you know sleepless in seattle or whatever yeah so. i saw yeah. So it was a nice it was a nice romantic comedy yeah
0: um, I you know even if the date was a bit of a bust, I think they had some fun um, repartee and and they it was clear they got along mm-hmm. together. And I'm totally on page with you. Just that she put you know she didn't put up with him. I, I remember that scene in the hospital where she took his his I was going to say stogie, but his um <laughs> his cigar <laughs> his, his stogie of um, his cigar and broke it. I'm like yeah, you know who would do that to Harvey Bullock? But but this lady, so I think that's great. Uh, do you blame him for what happened to Charlotte? Do you think it was just all a misunderstanding a mistake? Or do you think he was too tough um, because he was sort of being like, you're making a mistake. And then he reached into his pocket. So do you think it was his fault or no?
1: I would not put it on Harvey. Okay. I think it's I, I think it's just a thing that happened. Okay. I think the punk was – he was adrenaline. He was ready to shoot no matter what. Mm-hmm. Harvey, Harvey reaches for his keys, mm-hmm. which is what the guy asked for. He assumed it was a gun and fired. Okay. Things happen.
0: Okay. And I mean we are in Gotham City.
1: Well, then it always happens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I also wondered in the last page, I think, or near to it, at least when he's cradling Charlotte after she has Mm -hmm. passed away. Placement of these panels right on top of Sarah Essen, and Sarah Essen unfortunately gets killed in no man's land. Do you think there was any foreshadowing here? Do you think at this time they knew what they were going to do to her? Or it was just random placement.
1: Yeah, I think so. I I, I think it's more of a a pretty common okay. artistic yeah. or you no know, common idea or, or after the fact coincidence because that's still a number of years down the road. Right.
0: Right. And then, you know, final final thought on on this one is um, just how kind she is in her death throes and, and telling yeah. Harvey to close his <laughs> eyes because she's seen yeah. too many people die. It's not a pretty sight. So just in always in consideration of him, even when when she's dying. So it just makes right. it all the more right. tragic.
1: You know, she's a great you know caregiver as a nurse. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of you know, those those character traits coming out right to the end. <laughs> yes, and I what do you think of this portrayal of Bullock, of this version of Bullock?
0: I love it. Recently in Detective, you know. or I guess in the past year or so, they've really been diving into him and focusing on him. And you get to see his private life and, and who he is. And I feel like up to now, you know, with the exception, I guess, of this, you don't really get to see too much of Bullock. It's always, you know, a Jim Gordon focus. And maybe Renee Montoya oh. and him will have some conversations back and forth. But you don't really get to see too much of a private life with him. So I like that insight. And And that look into his private life, so that's what, yeah, I really liked it. Which makes it all the more tragic because you're getting attached to him as a character, and then this unfortunately happens to him, which is a bummer.
1: Yeah, I like him as a likable guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I like him as a as a tough cop, but a good cop. And you know, depending on the version that you're reading, you know, Gotham City falls somewhere between you know realistic old time big city Mm -hmm. or you know totally ungovernable. Hellhole, you know, somewhere in that in, mm-hmm. in that range. So, you know, what constitutes a quote unquote good cop mm-hmm. can sort of vary from version to version. Yeah. But I like Harvey sort of fully on this side of the law and you know, but willing to get close to the line to exercise his duties if he has to. So sort of good cop in the sense of being a good quality cop, but also, you know, skilled detective and and, and all of that. But also good in sort of the moral sense, you know mm-hmm. being on the being on the right side of the moral line, all oh, you know he tends to get close close to it sometimes mm-hmm. you know, so to me, you know Gordon is should be like the cleanest cop in the city, mm-hmm. but Bullock may be the most effective oh okay, sometimes you know what I might mean? think you know Bullock is a little bit of a combination of batman and and, and Gordon mm-hmm. I think when he's when he's portrayed the best.
7: Mm-hmm. That's a, so, I
1: yeah. like this, and, and, and I, I like getting this chance to know him and know him as a pretty decent fella. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that thought. That's a good comparison there to sort of emerging of those two characters as a uh, bullock there. That's pretty cool. Well, on to one that was also tragic, but I guess in another way Jim and Sarah Essen. <sighs> this was hard to read, um, if only because I, I feel like I've mostly read the really good parts about the relationship and this was it was tough because of all the conflict there and so she's commissioner now he sort of stepped down and it's you know the mistrust of batman he doesn't like mayor kroll and he he sort of brings that up and you know feels like she's on mayor kroll's side and and i like how this one page when he's shouting at her and saying you know you want me to stay on the forces your subordinate It almost has that romance novel look about her because she, her face is turned aside and there's like a tear, just one tear, you know, it's starting to well up. But, yeah, thoughts on uh, these interactions, which are pretty bad. And he breaks the door again, which uh door was already broken. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's a great scene in 519. Okay. Where they're talking and, you know, and, and she is basically telling him that she's the new commissioner. commissioner. Okay and while they're having that conversation it's intercut with these very small long panels mm-hmm. and what's happening in those panels is his name is being chipped off the door
0: oh
1: and and her name is being painted on oh man you know cuz james and sarah both you know five letters just fits you don't have to get the whole door you yeah. can just ch- 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 chip off james and put in Sarah. And that so that was really really well done
7: mm-hmm.
1: and uh you know, and 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 then th- this is the door that is shattered uh, in in this issue. So there's a little, a little, uh, a, a little payoff there, mm-hmm. a little continuity for attentive readers. Yeah.
0: Do you think he cares more about his position as commissioner than he does for for Sarah?
1: You know that that's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, you want your police commissioner to be a hundred percent committed to the job. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be a part-time job you know mm-hmm. it's 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 full time and not just in the sense of forty hours a week it's a it's a twenty four seven job
7: mm-hmm.
1: and that that can take a toll on on the other aspects of one's life so i th- i think there's some level of of realism here I think there's also a nineties bit of <laughs> of him at at his age yeah. not wanting to be replaced by a woman who's younger than him Mm
7: -hmm.
1: you know there's some sociological aspects of that as well as relational so i I think it's really there's there's some intricate emotional stuff happening there
0: Mm -hmm. and you feel for her just because she's really trying to help him out um right and you know she's also concerned about him and clearly loves him so i i do feel bad for her and he's right. certainly i guess there's the extreme because <laughs> he just <laughs> rushes off and doesn't really uh listen as much to her but yeah it just seems like everything is really building up on his side unfortunately
1: and i th- I, th- I think it's one of those things at least in these in these few pages here where neither i think neither one necessarily knows what's going on with the other one mm-hmm. at the time yep you know i i i think you know Sort of Jim lashes out in anger
7: mm-hmm.
1: about you know just wanting to take my place and and you know I've got nothing to prove and all of that um, and and you know she throws in something about his heart and his age and you know I, in her mind that's coming across as caring and compassionate. In his mind, you know what what she is saying is not what he's hearing, and vice versa. Mm-hmm.
0: I I do like at the end how. It's sort of unclear how she's going to react to Batman, <laughs> just with mm-hmm. her like, uh-huh, uh You know, <laughs> I'm, so I'm trying to figure out just from, you know, these panels, is she going to have some sort of relationship with Batman that Jim did? Probably not as right. close. Or, you know, is she just sort of over it and doesn't want any involvement with the Batman whatsoever? But it's certainly a hard position for, for both of them.
1: Yeah. but And yeah. sometimes that happens. Absolutely.
0: And this troublesome relationship or trouble in paradise leads us to um, the last, our last discussion here and probably the biggest, right? Because it's Barbara Gordon. Uh, yes, finally. This is the reason why I came on. So after all of this, well, that big blowout, basically, he comes over to her apartment and they discuss all of this stuff that has been going on. And, and Babs knows more than I think Jim realized mm-hmm. she did and she tries right. to give him some so a little bit of a clue she said she's not an expert in love but she does sort of guide him i think a little bit so what did you think about these great scenes between the two of them
1: you mean other than babs's hair
6: other than babs's hair which i agree is weird looking
1: <laughs> i actually kind of like the color of it it's sort of a more muted oh yeah shade the shade of red It's sort of an auburny uh-huh. color i, I kind of like that
0: it's just the but, style
1: but the bowl cut yeah. i don't know <laughs> It's like she did it herself, yeah. you know, looking at a mirror. I, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, part, that part didn't work for me. Okay. But I love this relationship. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it's portrayed here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my, uh, my podcast partner, Emily, mm-hmm. is our only child. And it's pretty much her fault that I'm a podcaster. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's to her credit okay. that I'm a podcaster. Uh-huh. So I, you know, I'm keenly aware of looking at portrayals of parents and adult children, mm-hmm. especially fathers and daughters. And I like the fact that, I was going to say Commissioner Gordon, uh, James Gordon, former know, form, right? former yep. Commissioner Gordon, uh, that he trusts his daughter's instincts mm-hmm. and that he understands that there are situations where she knows more than he does. And that to some extent she's wiser Mm-hmm. Than he is, mm-hmm. and I like the fact that he went to her. That they have enough of a relationship that he went to her, and it's clearly not just blowing off steam.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he is going there for some level of advice mm-hmm. and what is going on here, sort of. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that that she is comfortable and confident enough to tell him what he needs to hear.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: I, I I I think it's it's. A, It's a great portrayal of really what is a a great relationship. Mm -hmm.
0: I like how, uh, yeah, he's certainly calmed down, which is, I think, for the best.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And she really puts it in perspective, I think. Um, She's the one that says, you know, the L word, love. But, you know, she puts it all, you know, Sarah, the job, (laughs) and Batman, that they're all related and they're all sort of causing him problems. And I don't know if he had really looked at it in that way. Um, And so, you know. What, what does this mean for me? Well, I don't know, but more visits to you certainly. Uh, this is one of my. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, yeah. This is one of my favorite relationships in comics, um, you know, father and daughter or otherwise, and it's something that until recently the New Fifty Two had really sorely been lacking, and, and I, it was a travesty. And right, I, I think right. this is just one of those reasons why this particular scene in this particular issue is one of the reasons why I think it is so great. And they have such an awesome relationship and dynamic that they can both. And I guess right now we should say that Babs is technically, in this particular issue, his niece, but adopted daughter. But, you know, I I think let's all go along with saying that they're blood related. But, you know, in the past, pre crisis and everything, he was always there for her to cheer her up um, when bad things happened and then there was a time when he got sick and he had to step down from his commissioner job and she helped him so there's always this back and forth and they have such a great relationship that when one person is down the other person is really there to offer that encouragement and to try to sort of give them a path of hope and you know how can we turn this around and here you have that where um, Jim is down and and Barbara is offering him help and, and you are absolutely right that she's wise here and she offers him insights. And I just, I yeah, I don't. It's just a great scene. It's short, but I think it really gets to their relationship, and and it was wonderful. I guess this is the one positive potentially relationship in the in the whole issue, because all the other yeah, ones are so. yeah, they're all troubled by sort of negative mm-hmm. things that happened and here is sort of the focal, the central point that everything pivots around, and it works out so well.
1: I mean, to me, it's how, it's how two adults who love each other Mm -hmm. unconditionally Mm -hmm. you know might relate to each other
7: absolutely
0: do you have any other thoughts on this particular issue on 520 Mm
1: -hmm. no no Mm -hmm. i enjoyed (laughs) i did too and 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 like like we said it does stand on its own absolutely you know it's not it's not uh, part seven of 23
0: (gasps) yeah i wasn't sure what you know i was getting into (laughs) with this i think the first couple pages and then the the cover, I thought, oh no, what is this? But then I was, as I was reading, I was really just astounded by how good it was and how deep and and meaningful and the, just the tonal shifts and everything. So I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I like uh, I like uh, Doug Mensch. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I I I do think of him mostly as a writer of books in the Bat Family, mm-hmm. um, or of the Marvel knockoff Moon Knight. Don't laugh. I like Moon Knight.
0: You know, I was recently um, – well, I haven't read vintage Moon Knight, <laughs> but I recently uh, was reading the one by um, Ellis, Warren Ellis.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And
0: I really enjoyed that. I was bummed when they did well, it. Well, if you that. like Batman. Then you'll like you Moon should, Knight. You should
1: like Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's also in, it, interesting for Doug Mensch that he started off in horror books. Oh, OK. You know, werewolf and vampire mm-hmm. and all those things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great perspective. Mm-hmm. A great history to, to to bring into Batman.
0: Yeah. yeah. So out of ten bats, what would you give this issue?
1: Definitely worth twenty five cents. Was that the question? No,
0: it's not worth the well sure, it's worth your twenty five cents. Oh sorry,
1: wrong show. That's <laughs> the question on my though. Yeah.
0: Shameless plug for you. Uh Don't. what would out of you know, ten, what would you give it?
1: I'd, I'd give it a solid eight and a half.
0: Okay. Oh, a solid
1: eight and a half. A solid eight and a half Auburn bowl cuts.
0: Auburn bowl cuts. Heavens above. <laughs> you know, I don't do this very often, but I frankly am going to give this a 10 out of 10. Oh, nice. I, I just really enjoyed went, it. Uh, I just thought just... it was a well-rounded story. And I think, you know, even if it was more than 25 cents that people should go out and get this particular <laughs> issue. <laughs> don't listen to this guy, people. You know, spend
1: You know, you know, know, I, 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 I was thinking going all the way back. Yeah. To the beginning of the episode okay I probably got this book from the mile high <laughs> <next> <laughs> service that's
0: pretty funny because
1: I was to probably so I probably got it for you know a little off cover price a buck fifty or so and well
0: worth it well worth okay that's a <laughs> shiny commendation right there
1: and boy, are you an easy grader? Anyway, I'm, I mean, I'm not judging. This, I mean, this is not one professional oh, oh, to another. Give me a break. This, is, this is not educator to educator. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> you know, I like it. I think that what, what's what is so wrong with it that you took off 1.5 points.
1: Well, you see, you don't start off at 100 percent and take points off. <laughs> oh, you start at zero, okay. and I the students have to. I mean, the comic has to earn its okay. grades. It was very good,
0: but just not Uh,
1: nine and a quarter.
0: Now it's going up. Heavens,
1: it was really good. You know the part with Bullock.
0: You see ten. That was a hard.
1: You're getting closer to it, man. I tell you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it has been a pleasure. It's it's sad. It's like almost over now that we're we're about to part ways. Mm -hmm -hmm. Where I like to promote people who come on my shows. So, where can people find you? What are the various podcasts that you do?
1: Well, mostly we are on the relatively geeky mm-hmm. podcast network. That's me and my twenty-something-year-old kid Emily. And you don't know, do you know her actual hope? age, you know. <laughs> some some people don't like to reveal okay, their exact Okay, Plus. You know, people will be listening to this episode for years to come, I'm sure. That's true.
0: Just because of <laughs> so, you, not because of me, because apparently you're making Macro to Oracle great again. They're just going to listen to you, Professor <laughs> Allen.
1: <laughs> so the two of us, uh-huh. we host a bunch of different shows all on that feed, mainly my solo show, mm-hmm. which we have referenced, the Quarterbin Podcast, mm-hmm. where I talk about my favorite kinds of comic books, which are cheap comic books. Mm-hmm. And she and I do our joint show, Short Box Showcase, where we talk about topics related to comics like sidekicks or retcons or superhero pros or topics like that. And all of those can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or in iTunes. And late in 2015, the two of us got a side project oh. going. Based on our interest, not just in comics and pop culture, but religion, theology, church history, stuff like that. Oh. And we started Darkness to Light. Okay. She, came, she comes up with the names. Okay. I, I have to give full credit.
7: Okay.
1: Uh, which is a blog and a Tumblr, an occasional podcast mm-hmm. episode. Uh, and th- those are at darkness to light.blogspot.com. And everything's in iTunes. Wow. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here.
0: Oh. Well, I have known about you for a while, and I think we recently, only recently became podcast like friends on Facebook, maybe.
1: That's right.
0: I think the first or so uh, episodes I had listened to were the Turok and i i really enjoyed it and i thought that i don't know i like i said i enjoyed your voice and i felt like you're a knowledgeable intelligent man and it's and
1: it's soothing and it puts you to sleep at night <laughs> absolutely when, when you're tossing when and turning. That's, that, that's awesome yes no that is a great endorsement
0: well i mean people tell me <laughs> that they use my podcast to fall asleep too so
1: see perfect yes
0: absolutely so i'm glad you know i just wanted to reach out i'm sorry it wasn't it was just some random issues, but I wanted to have you on, and so I'm glad that we did this.
1: I'm very excited by it, Stella. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking me on. Absolutely. Fly on, bats, Babs. Lovers. Oh gosh! <laughs> Thank
0: you for that. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for some listener email.
1: Mail time. Mail time. Oh, mail
0: time. The mail time. here. Oh,
8: Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me wanna.
0: I actually have no physical emails, but they're all comments left on the batmanuniverse.net website. So I have a couple from episode 112... And the first is from Donovan. He says that the Japanese thug was wearing an Oni mask, which is a totem for demons and devils. His waist and ribs were taped as a sign that he was a gang member. Japanese street hoods taped their sides to show they get in lots of fights. Basically, the mask and tape served as the thug's costume to intimidate opponents in Japan. It just so happened he was in Gotham. And that was, I know, in response to me complaining, I suppose, about the uh, appearance and design of the thug that that steph and babs went after uh and just feeling like he could have been more intimidating i still feel like the mask was a bit of a a goofier mask than maybe one is used to seeing as an oni mask but Nonetheless, thank you for the information Don. I appreciate it Next up, Ian Miller on the same episode says While every point you make about Batgirl 47 is valid I have to say, since I'm just here for Steph I really enjoyed it I think the fight scene with her Though it makes no sense in a martial arts way Was really fun and colorful And while you disagree I think it's nice that Babs and Steph need to work together To overcome the Hazigawa boss I think a Catwoman crossover would have been nice But since Valentine is off that book very unlikely to happen, especially since the current writer seems intent on wrecking everything she did in that book. I enjoyed the showcase of Oracle, though I tend to agree that's not the best thought through a fight sometimes. Chuck Dixon hadn't really established Oracle's modus operandi yet in the DCU, and while I think Peterson and Stalfreeze had some good ideas, and Devin Grayson really liked the thought they put into things, like the fact that Babs' wheelchair had no handles, it wasn't until Dixon and Simone put together the Birds of Prey that I think Oracle really became a character to love instead of just admire and also and finally on episode 112 from Angela she said great episode as always Stella. I'll definitely have to look up that showcase issue just want to share this amazing oracle fan art that I just found it happens to be uh what Babs does as a workout and it's it's her strapped in to wheelchair and doing pull-ups and you know that she could totally do that but it's uh just insane to think of how much, how much how many pounds that would be for her to be lifting, but you can totally see it being done. So thank you for that image, Angela. Next up is also on episode one twelve, but it's actually addressed to Chris Carnes. This is from Glenn. He says, Thank you, Chris, for your review of Batman sixty six number thirty. I think that while acknowledging your perfect ten out of ten score, I maybe love the book even more than you did. I'll give you that the concept of crafting a story from the show's opening credits was light, but the epic that the All Reds spun out of that gave me more joy than any book since my childhood. I suppose that the greatest praise I can give is that I will certainly never be able to watch the opening of the show again without thinking of Batman 66, number 30. You expressed some disappointment over a lack of shared love for the book, and while I agree that it seems to have passed without much notice, the reviews I did find were unanimously, enormously positive. That is, with the shocking exception of the host of your and my favorite podcast. On the TBU comic cast, Stella gave Batgirl 66, number 30, a neutral. The only way that I can reconcile this <laughs> to is to tell myself that with the pile of books they read every month for review there. Stella never actually did read Batman 66, number 30. BTL celebrates a character created in coordination with the TV series. Stella even uses a Batman 66 sound drop in her opening. And Batman and Robin could not enjoy complete success in Batman 66 number 30 without the timely aid of a beautifully rendered Yvonne Craig backroll. If Stella did in fact read backroll 66 number 30, then her neutral review calls into question everything. Her judgment, perception, taste, capacity for critical analysis. I would also have to question my own judgment for listening to 100-ish episodes of her show. Therefore, since I can't come to terms with all that, I'm going with Stella didn't read it. Uh, Well, Glenn, I I am going to, number one, forward this message to uh, Chris Karn so he can also read this. I will admit to you that you are correct. There are lots of books that we have to read, you know, on the Comic Uh So, unfortunately, when I give a neutral, it means that I don't want to give it an up and down because I haven't read it, so I don't think it's fair to read. Now, there are some neutrals, however, that I have actually read, and the the positive, the thumbs up, thumbs down, is sometimes hard to give because those are extremes. There's nothing in between, so I'll give a neutral. But, unfortunately, Batman 66, I have not read at all, um, and that's just... It's, it's sort of time purposes. I mean, if you only knew my schedule on, like, when I read these other Bat books in order to prepare for a podcast, you would totally understand. But I do apologize for um, letting you down on the Batman 66. Maybe now that it's over, I can go back and get the collection and then, you know, read it in a couple sittings and, and have the full the full feeling of it and really be immersed in everything. So I do apologize for letting you down, but I didn't read it, so that's why I didn't give it a thumbs up. I just gave it a neutral. So hopefully you'll still continue to listen. (laughs) But when you put it that way, it's super sad. Uh, So thank you for writing in, Glenn. From Jim, and it's from the the John Ostrander Interviewed And he said, good on you, Stella. This episode is fantastic. Thanks for a great interview, asking good questions, and allowing Ostrander to answer. Keep at it. Uh, so thanks, Jim. And absolutely, just, again, such a pleasure to talk with any creator, uh, and especially, you know, the creator of Oracle. One last comment is Ian Miller. Ian, again, writes in on episode 113 the shipper special number five he says great episode it's always a delight to hear donovan and stella really getting into the stories i just had a couple of comments about the question of can batman be truly happy in a romantic relationship i think that if you look at the other two major marriages and long-term romantic relationships with heroes in comics spider-man and superman there's almost never an example of a superhero who has a secret identity of such prominence as batman who has a romantic partner who also has a secret identity. Having a secret, mask-only marriage wouldn't be very satisfying to anyone, and having them be together in public with their civilian identities would put their masked partnership at serious risk of discovery. Add to that the difficulty most writers have in writing a status quo of a happy romantic relationship without sidelining one of the characters, and the fact that most writers and editors think that if Batman were truly happy, he would stop being Batman, I just don't see it happening in mainstream continuity. I happen to disagree that it couldn't work out, though I don't really have an investment in any particular ship for Bruce, now that Tim Drake is another matter. But I don't think there's a writer who is willing to do it, who has the power to make it stick. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there. I think it certainly has to be probably something very out of continuity. Um I'm going to cover the, the latest Batman issue on the Batman universe, and we see that that spoilers didn't work out either. So, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. I don't know if I would agree with you on, you know, that no other uh, superhero has a secret identity of such prominence as Batman, unless you mean just the fact that, you know, because I'm thinking of it from, like, a readership point, like, does th- th- don't other people know you know car ken and superman and all of that but i suppose you mean billionaire bruce wayne and just head of uh wayne corps and all our wayne industries and and that that sort of prominence there within the actual story it's a problem either way i feel like oh i just i I'll always think that maybe catwoman and bruce could in fact give it a chance just like you know, Dick Grayson and, and Barbara Gordon could get you know because they have the similar similarities inside and potentially outside of the costume, you know, for Selina and Bruce. So I'm always going to hold out hope, but uh, but I do feel like it's gonna it's gonna have to be an out of continuity story or another Earth, which would be interesting to see for sure. I'd have to read a little bit more about the Selina Bruce uh, that birthed Helena. I think that would be an interesting story, though that didn't turn out well. Um, and I think it was just more of a, a dalliance rather than a long-term relationship. Well, that is it for listener emails. Thank you so much for posting on the Batman BatmanUniverse.net website uh, under each of those episodes. Remember, you can definitely do that. That is totally an option. I get the emails that those are coming in. You can also email me at batgirl.oracle at gmail.com. Now, before I take a break, I did want to address something that came up recently, and it was involving, you know, my promo for the Minority port, which which I'm hoping to uh, record next month with Donovan. Um, You know, on my promo at the very end, I say, heterosexual white males need not apply, right? And I just want to let you know that this was not uh, meant at all to be uh, insulting, or to look down upon anyone. It was it was rather, you know, tongue-in-cheek, just being a little uh, facetious there. Um, of course, you know, other people's opinions are valued. I value any person's opinion. Uh, of course, the intent is really to look at uh, different groups that are not, you know, white male and, you know, heterosexual. You could be heterosexual and another race or ethnic group um but you know not all of those combined you know it, it was just supposed to be a joking comment to to leave at the tail end of the promo so i do apologize if if that was in any way uh, offensive to anyone out there so just know that that's not what i was thinking about you know just to point to one group and say i don't care what you have to say it doesn't matter that's not what my intention was so I do apologize for that. I'm going to take a break now, and when I come back, I'm going to review Back 47 and Gotham Academy number 14. But first, we have Zias' Radio Hour featuring All-Star by Smash Mouth.
9: Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed She was looking kind of dumb with her feet Now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. And all that matters is gold. Only shooting stars break the mold. It's a cool place, and they say it gets colder. You're bundled up, now wait till you get older. But the media men beg to differ, judging by the hole in the satellite picture. The ice we skate is getting pretty thin. The water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. But world's on fire, How about yours? the way i like it and i'll never get bored hey now you're an all-star get your game on go play hey now you're a rock star get the show on get paid
0: We're back, so just down to two again for the reviews, which you know makes me happy. So first up is Backrow Forty Seven: Police and Thieves. Writers Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart, artists Eleanor Carlini and Maura Tot and colorist Sergey Lapointe. Please note that this story takes place before Bluebird, aka Harper Row, started glow popping in Batman and Robin Eternal. So please note that. So Batgirl and Spoiler are on her rooftop, and Spoiler is ready to go home, but Batgirl asks for her help in finding out who sent her confidential information to the police. Spoiler enlists the help of Bluebird on the tech side, and with Frankie, the team is set, the plan is made. Batgirl flies with her bike off the rooftop and meets up with her dad later. Babs is concerned with the bruises and cuts on Jim's face, and while he says he will heal, he does voice concern for the villain Mr. Bloom, which is the villain that he's facing in the Batman book. Babs talks about her recurring nightmares and how they seem to be altering and messing with her memory. She then talks about Greg and how he is crashing at their apartment until he finds a place to live. Jim doesn't remember him, but she soon moves on to asking about the current situation at GCBD and whether someone could have revealed her information. He says the situation is pretty messed up at the uh, police headquarters and he wants to help, but she wants to handle it herself. After the meeting, Babs comes home to Frankie and Greg getting into some sort of argument because Greg was rifling through Babs' drawers, apparently her panty drawer, looking for something Babs said he could borrow. Babs calms the situation down a little bit and then tells Frankie to get ready for the mission that night. Later, Steph and Babs in police uniforms infiltrate GCPD, while Frankie, known as Operator now, not Oracle, is at home and Bluebird is below the building monitoring the systems. Steph gets flirted with. Babs is nearly recognized by Liam, then later recognized as Jim's daughter, and they find the report that says Babs, in fact, was the one to give the police the info about the gangs. An alarm is tripped. The girls are made... Bluebird cuts the power, a big villainess with fake muscles escapes, a robot army is sent out into the city, presumably corresponding with what is happening with Bloom and the Pages of Batman, and the girls finally go to work. After changing into their hero garb, the girls encounter SWAT, but the SWAT team is destroyed by Corporal Punishment, this large villainess that was sitting on the bench earlier. The girls try to put in their best hits, but nothing works until Bluebird uses electricity to knock her out. Batgirl thanks the girls for their help and continues to think about what it all means. Later with Luke, Kadir shows up with plans for the Negahedron, saying it could be an energy source. But Babs wonders if she even did the math correctly. Later still, Luke tries to cheer her up, but she is still worried she is losing her mind and wondering whether it has something to do with Digibabs. She decides she does not want to continue on the Negahedron in case it becomes a weapon that could destroy the city. Later that night, Babs is visited by that strange entity that takes Babs' memories and makes it so she actually wants to pursue the creation of the Negahedron. Next, Old Friends. So without having read issue 48, let me tell you right now my prediction on who the bad guy is because this is what I feel like reading through this issue. I'm thinking that Greg is the bad guy. Jim doesn't remember him. And I'm thinking that's because he wasn't ever really Bab's friend, but has been continually altering her memory so that she thinks that he's her friend from grade school. And then he's using that memory, you know what, (laughs) to move in and get closer to the negahedron. And then because he's moving in, he's able to mess with her memory even more so. So my guess is Greg is the bad guy. I find it funny that Bluebird reminds Batgirl when they first met at the very beginning because I didn't remember them meeting during the Night of the Owls either. I remember them being sort of in the same... Night of the Owls is one of the... or Court of the Owls is one of the the first appearances of Harper anyways, but I sort of remember them being in Eternal Together, but I don't feel like they were on the same page. So I'd have to go back and, and see when this first meeting is. But... Thank you, uh, editors for or writers, for putting that in there because I didn't remember. The girls are astounded that the motorcycle flies off the roof, and guess what? So am I, because how did it fly off the roof? I'd love to see that. It could climb a building, though. I remember she did that um, way back in, like, 45 or so. My favorite scene in this whole issue is definitely with Jim and Babs. I liked how we're getting back to this being the status quo. Remember how much I complained about the Jim and Babs, the father-daughter relationship not being in existence during the Gail Simone run? There's a sense of normalcy, you know, between the two of them. You know, and it's funny because even in the sense of normalcy, there's like something hidden. Like he's got a day job. And a night job. She's got a day job and a night job, right? But they sort of keep it hidden slightly from each other. And something similar happens in uh, the pages of Detective as well, which I recommend reading uh, the last two or so. I like how he brings his work with him, you know, in the form of the bruises, and then she's sharing a part of her life. And I just wonder how much she can reveal about her life and what she does before revealing. That she's back girl because I just felt like this entire time there's this undertone of you know like could he know does he know is she revealing too much could she just tell him flat out that she's back girl there's honesty here on both sides uh, and it certainly reflects the issue that I covered uh, earlier with Professor Allen well you know Frankie and Greg are off to a great start and while Babs does clearly remember the Dinah incident since she mentioned it to her father during their little uh, diner stop, that really didn't stop her from inviting him over. However, if he is in fact the bad guy, I guess, you know, <laughs> nothing would stop her because she would have some, some memory problems. And then, you know, she's always trying to help somebody out. I do wonder where Steph got the uh, police uniforms from. You know, doesn't that concern anyone else? Uh, This is, you know, how people get hurt and intruders come in because they have these police uniforms. You believe they're police. You open the door. They come in, you know, and, and do something bad. But then I am thinking also about strippers, and I wonder where the strippers get the costume and how authentic they look like. So these are just thoughts, you know, when they've got, you know, how did Steph get these uniforms? And, oh, is it that easy? Does Steph know who Barbara Gordon is? That's a good question, right? I guess she must. I suppose maybe I'm either forgetting because Greg's messing with my memory or I missed that moment. But I just felt like they always knew. I think it was clear, probably, especially in Eternal, that Stephanie Brown was, spoiler, Harper Rowe. I think those are very open identities. But I'm not sure that uh, Barbara had revealed who she was. So I'm wondering when that happened. And I guess it had to happen because she made that comment about, I hope they don't recognize me because clearly, you know, she's Jim Gordon's father. But I just, yeah, I don't know. I always feel like there are different levels, right, of these heroes. And some of them, um, it's less shocking if their identity is revealed than others. And I think that Stephanie Brown, like that identity is not as shocking as... Seventy Brown is spoiler, I guess. I think it, when once you go up a grade, which I feel like Batgirl is a grade above uh, Bluebird and Batgirl, that it's a little more shocking. You should keep hold of your identity a little bit more. So I just wonder when that happened. Uh, Creeper in the GCPD. Uh, he's a police officer. And frankly, I would swipe left with that guy. He needs... I don't know. Someone needs to talk to him. Yeah. He asks Steph for a... Oh, what is it? A tour? A tour of the locker room. Give me a break. I also wonder, uh, what sets off the alarm? Um, I did mention, you know, in, in, in my summary that it could be because of the situation with Bloom. I wasn't sure if it was something else that was going on, but it's it, it seems to make sense because in Batman, uh, one of the characters there decides that she needs to um, let go of all of the all of the robots of the Batman robots that they seem to have. So if it's coinciding, if it's lining up then that could be it. But I it'd be nice to have some verification there. Well I was a little confused how Bab said she knows the G C P D so well that she could, you know, walk through blindfolded and then not knowing that there is a room And I feel like I I was confused, but then thinking about it, I felt like maybe um, this is a symptom of, you know, the dream monster, I guess I'll call him, right? Because if he's messing with her mind so much, then I think the memories could be shifting and like just her memory is really getting messed up. And I think that's a symptom of that because she even has been, she has even been saying that she can't trust herself really much anymore, so I think even if he's twisting certain memories, it's causing um a lot of sort of splinter effects corporal punishment as a villain new villain i i tried to look her up because i thought this seems familiar couldn't find anything now first of all i couldn't even tell i believe her her real name was vicky right couldn't tell if it was a girl or a guy on the bench but then you know it's, it's uh clear that it is a girl an interesting villain sort of just slipped in there right because you know, you've got this mission, um, I would assume the dream monster is sort of our main big villain of the arc, but this is always, this is what Team Babs has really been doing, is that there's a bigger villain for the arc, and then you have sort of these um, vignettes and, and smaller villains that pop up and serve, you know, whatever purpose this is, and uh, certainly sort of a deus ex machina for the SWAT team, right, because Corporal Punishment takes them out and then goes after those girls and then... There's a nice moment with Harper, right, that that there's a rescue. And I liked her for the fact that, <laughs> well, she just wanted to break anybody and hurt anyone. She didn't really care. But it was also just a nice, you know, if this is sort of a Birds of Prey Jr., it was nice because it took all of them working together to take corporal punishment out. Um, and it'd be interesting for more of a backstory with her, but she could just be a big bruiser boss, and they got rid of her, and that's it. I did really like the scene of Steph and her, her hits because Corporal Punishment lets her, she feels pleased with herself and tired and then realizes that she did nothing. I thought that was fun. I also liked the, the scenes at the end with, with Babs and Luke because of how Luke is treating Babs and just really trying to give her confidence. And this is something that, I feel like there's always someone in Babs' life to do this, uh, which I don't know what that says about Barbara Gordon as a character, that maybe she has low self-esteem uh, more times than she should but you know jim gordon was always that one for her pre-crisis more recently honestly jason todd in eternal and i think luke is a positive influence for her and now you know this three or four issues that were going on with this relationship so i feel like this is something that's very positive Uh, but at the same time with this dream monster you don't know what's going to happen further down the line if he starts to mess with that Uh, so i'm concerned slightly about that But clearly the focus... Of the dream monster and potentially this whole Issue is pointing to the Negahedron uh, even though it takes Up a very small amount of pages And I think that points us In the direction of the Gladius group And I'm also, also wondering if Spyro Is going to return so there's just something Bigger at work and you know How can you fight someone that sort of Messes with your brain and your, your Dreams and everything and how can you fix Yourself after that can they Ever be reversed it's not like that detective Comics issue in the 70s days where she speaks all of her memories onto a tape and then her memories are gone and the only way to get the memories back are to listen to the tape so something else something deeper is going on uh, i did like this issue um I, I don't think it was like super astounding but I, I thought that it was, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, um, several levels here, and just lots of character interactions, which I think is what Team Babs really excels at, is having, building relationships and having char- different characters interact. Uh, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 Bats, and I'm looking forward to see if I'm right about the Greg guess. Next up, and finally, is Gotham Academy Number 14, Yearbook Part 1. Interstitials written by Brendan Fletcher, interstitials penciled and colored by Adam Archer, and interstitials inked by Sandra Hope. Now, the reason why I keep saying interstitials is that uh, this yearbook, there may be three parts, I know there's another part at least, Uh, basically separate little stories, little stories that are written and drawn by other people, and so the, the interstitials are basically the the main story, I guess, behind it and sort of leaning in or leading into these smaller stories and segwaying and everything. So maybe you'll be confused. Maybe not. Let's have a go and see what happens. So Maps is bummed. She's been turned down for yearbook. She has too many clubs. And they're like, no, no. And Olive decides to cheer up by presenting her the scrapbook that she has made with mementos and images from their various adventures. So that's sort of the interstitial Um, Part 1, I guess And and we'll segue and weave throughout the different stories So first up, there's Animal Science 101 Written by Derek Friedolfs And illustrated by Dustin Nguyen During prank week, Colton and Eric You know, the nervous kid who likes maps Are skulking around Langstrom's lab Hoping for something to use as a prank They suddenly let loose a mutant sheep ram Sheep slash ram, who knows That chases them, climbs a wall, and flies away Langstrom punishes the boys by dressing them up as a sheep while holding a sign that says bad sheep. Next is Queen Glee, written and illustrated by Katie Cook, with special thanks to Heather Breckel. Olive and Maps discover an evil plot by the leader of the Glee Club in order to gain popularity. She created an app that uses subliminal vocal commands. Unfortunately, Maps gets distracted by cat videos, and Olive becomes a Glee Club zombie, until Maps plugs her phone in some AV equipment and shows cute cat videos in order to snap the zombies out of it. After this story, the girls decide to go out and get some stories from McPherson, and that's what leads us to Scotty Dog, written by Hope Larson and illustrated by Chris Mukai. In 1985, Isla, spelled I-S-L-A, McPherson and two friends are at a shopping mall. But once one of the friends spies a guy she likes, she tells Isla to go away for a while because guys go gaga for her accent. She runs away crying and a pierced guy tries to help her but freaks her out instead. In the restroom, his friend tells her he meant no harm, then talks to Isla about what's been going on. We also find out that this girl, Tony has an ability to know where to stand in people's blind spots and not be seen. They have fun together and get some glam shots before Isla is carried away by her friends. She doesn't want to go, but Tony appears suddenly and seals the guy's digits that the girl wanted all along. As we flash forward to 2015, we see McPherson looking at the glam shots she took so long ago and comparing it to a news item that says Tony, a.k.a. La Pesita, evades capture and is a notorious assassin. Next, staff parties, sword fights, ham, yearbook part two. Doesn't Felicia look radiant?
5: Well, maybe to you, but I'm holding the most beautiful girl in the room. I couldn't agree more! Uh, Harry! So you do remember my name? That's silly, Harry. You're my friend. If you look up friend in the dictionary, it says nothing about stealing away girlfriends. Listen, I didn't steal! But you did! And for that I can never forgive you, ever. Thanks a lot, friend.
0: Well, this, my friends, certainly is a one-shot, right? I mean, it's a, well, I guess it's more than a one-shot because it carries on, but I could probably pick this up on a stand. This is like new reader-friendly, people. Number 14, probably number 15, too. I mean, all you have to know are some characters and that they have, like, friendships. It's all these just really short and funny and great stories. So it, it works as a one-shot, I think. I do wonder sort of what the purpose of it all is. Because it's reflecting stories that we haven't seen. But what about these major points that are going on already in the story, you know, with with Olive's mom and everything? And it does give us a breather, I think, from those or that storyline as well. But I'm still wondering, you know, what's going on with Olive and has she turned to the dark side? Though this was show that she's not, at least with her friends anyways, because she's still that lovely Olive that we know. But, you know, you also have to wonder how many parts are yearbooks. So let's say if it's two, that's two months, right? Two-month gap, and then we'll get back to the main story, and you'll wonder how much do you remember. If you remember several years ago, I had that super, well, it wasn't a long diatribe, but I just talked about, right, there were all these breaks on, on these one-shots or tie-ins, and then you were interrupted from the main story, and then you had to get back in, and you know, it was hard to remember, and it was just too jarring. So I'm hoping that either, I don't know, they'll find some way to connect or... It just won't be a long absence, so that we will remember what's going on. I'm glad that I do remember what's going on now, so I guess that's a good sign. I love that there are different artists and writers for the different stories. Um, I, I, I think that it's great to number one. This is book. I think this book, in particular, is just a great way to showcase that, uh, and, and this isn't the first time that we've seen that. We, we saw it with, if you remember, Becquerel Annual. Um, and I connected it to that just because I remember Gotham Academy went into that annual. But it was just great that different stories were, you know, different, I guess, same perspective almost. But. They're different characters, so why not have different artists and writers? And it's funny because Katie Cook, I don't really know who she is. I sort of know her art style for sure, but it's interesting because her booth and artist alley is always so long, and I'm like, who is this woman? And so here she is. Uh, my favorite was Animal Science 101, uh, definitely because of the art. I love Dustin Nguyen, and I just thought it was a lot of fun to see Colton and Erica chased by a bat sheep, and then they have to dress up as sheep. And I one does wonder why langstrom decided to do that to them katie cook that i was speaking about cute designs but you know i'm afraid the only thing i took away from it was the cute cat videos which cracked me up and and certainly made perfect sense because maps would totally be distracted by that i liked uh the art least of the scotty dog story but i think it might have been the most important one because it gives us an idea and an insight into who isla mcpherson is and about her past and that's one of the, the more intriguing characters i feel and one that each time she pops up i'm like who is this woman what's going on What's her connection with bruce wayne who is she who is she and so finally we get a little taste of her past not very happy uh not the happiest story for sure but meeting this friend that you know she's carried with her at the very least those glam shots but i'm sure she's kept in touch somehow and now her friend is la pisada and by the way la pisada means the footprint you know maybe it's the idea that she doesn't leave a footprint or maybe she does who knows but it'll be interesting to see if we learn any more about that i'm going to give it a little bit higher than row 8.5 out of 10 diplomas it a little bit down just because of the the art there on scotty dog and the fact that it doesn't further our main storyline but nonetheless cute and of course i wouldn't skip reading this it was that weird scheduling right black canary so i've got two black canaries six and seven grading kind of low for these six i'm giving a five out of ten rock stars and seven i'm giving a six out of ten i really like the art there for some it's just gotten really weird these last two issues got super weird There was a bit of a time warp and now her husband Kurt is old. There's a weird dual contest in order to blow up a stadium with sound. And Bo Mave ended up helping out uh, Dinah and everything. And you know, Amanda Waller shows up. It just got a little strange, a little strange, maybe a little bit confusing. I did read them though, so I'm hoping that I don't know. We get back on track, or is this sort of the end? You know, is. It seems like the concert tour is is running out, so I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm hoping that eight and and on will get back to something now that these shadowy creatures were sort of done there, but I have no idea where that leads us. So I'm looking forward to, I guess, and slash interested to see where Black Canary goes from here. Well, next up is Batman 66.
10: Thank you very much, Stella. Hi, Batfans. I have missed you one and all. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you for downloading, and as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you today as I'll look at two issues. Batman 66 meets The Man from U.N.C.L.E. numbers 2 and 3, both featuring our favorite Domino Dare doll, Batgirl. Issue number 2 was cover dated March 2016, and issue number 3 was cover dated April 2016. The cover art was provided, once again, by Michael and Laura Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Issue number two contains The Batman Affair, Chapter 2, Bruce Wayne, Agent of Thrush? Written by Jeff Parker and pencils by David Hahn, and the inks by Carl Kessel and David Hahn. Our chapter opens at Gotham Police Headquarters. When we last left our heroes, they were stunned to learn of the mass escape from Arkham Institute. Batman interrogates the Penguin, and informs him that he was used as a decoy for the Arkham Breakout. The Penguin agrees to tell Batman what he knows. Meanwhile, in New York City, Ilya and Napoleon discreetly enter Uncle Headquarters, via the front of a tailor shop, where they meet Alexander Waverly, Head of Uncle. The trio discuss the likelihood that the Scarecrow, Sandman, Poison Ivy, Egghead, Mr. Freeze and the Siren have joined the criminal organization Thrush. Napoleon states that Batman has had the most experience with the villains. However, Mr. Waverly wonders if Bruce Wayne, who is a prime donor and has access to the Arkham Institute, had something to do with their escape. The three plan to attend a party that Bruce Wayne is hosting to commemorate the building of a new communication satellite that Bruce Wayne's company had just completed. Meanwhile, the six villains rendezvous with their unseen leader of Thrush. Then, the next Saturday night at Stately Wayne Manor, home of millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward Dick Grayson. Barbara Gordon, in a flattering yellow dress and accompanied by her father, is greeted with a kiss on the hand from Bruce. Mr. Waverly talks to Alfred, where it's revealed that the two were once former colleagues. Bruce meets Napoleon... Well, Ilya appears to have eyes for Barbara. As Professor Overbeck is about to present the satellite to the assembled guests, an egg-shaped aircraft swoops down and drops egg bombs. The craft opens, and Poison Ivy and her plant men emerge and prove to be a superior match for the men from UNCLE. Batgirl comes to Napoleon's rescue in colorful fashion, but the plant men distraction proves to be too much, for when Batman and Robin arrive, Tendrils emerge from the egg ship, seizing the satellite along with Ivy, all making their getaway to be continued. Okay, The Man from Uncle was a hit TV spy series that debuted on the NBC network in the fall of 1964 and ran for four seasons for a total of 105 episodes. The series was co created by the father of James Bond himself, Ian Fleming. Now, the letters UNCLE stood for United Network Command. For law and enforcement. The villain organization Thrush stood for technological hierarchy for the removal of undesirables and the subjugation of humanity. Oh, <laughs> that's a mouthful. The first season of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. was in black and white, and all the following episodes were later in color. Uh, the first season had a much serious tone, and later episodes were a bit more campy. The suave Robert Vaughn was cast as Napoleon solo. Before Uncle, Vaughn appeared in the western The Magnificent Seven, and after Uncle, he appeared with Steve McQueen in the car chase classic movie Bullet. He may be better known to a younger audience for his 1980s appearances as the villain in Superman 3 and appearing on the last season of The A-Team. David McCollum, originally from Scotland, played Ilya Kuryakin, and was something of a heartthrob himself. Uncle was initially to have thought the focus uh, solely on Napoleon, but McCollum's looks and his chemistry gave him co-star status. Now, chances are, if you have an Archie, Betty, and Veronica, or maybe any comic book from around 1966, you might find an ad in that comic touting a life-size poster of McCollum, uh, which could have been yours for $1 back then. Today, McCollum is best known for playing Dr. Donald Mallard, or Ducky, on the long-running current series NCIS. In future review segments, I'll talk more about the series, the spin-off movie, and the old TV show's guest stars. As for the second chapter, I thought the pacing just wasn't as fast as the first issue. I didn't enjoy it as much as I did the first time around. I can't quite put it into words, but this had a very Chapter 2 feel to it. I did like the artwork, and it captured the classic look of all the main characters and it was as if some of the depictions came uh, directly from some screenshots. The cameo of Professor Overbeck was a nice touch. Batgirl looked very flattering, as did Poison Ivy, who seemed to put on her green stocking somewhere between panels. So with that, I'll give Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle number 2, 7 out of 10 bats, down a notch from the previous issue. Over on the TBU website, Jerry Green gave this 3 out of 5. We move on to issue number 3, all credits are the same with a slight change of Pasquale Qualano doing some pencils and Carl Kessel handling all the ink chores. The Batman affair, chapter 3, Cast a Wide Net, takes place immediately where we left off. Batman tells the other law enforcers that Egghead and Poison Ivy actually had stolen a fake empty shell of a satellite with a band transponder concealed inside. The real satellite was back at Wayne Space Lab. The congratulations are short-lived, however as a transmitter from one of Ivy's decayed plant men speaks to the group and states that it is aware of the ruse, and the operation was merely a test to see if the new thrush operatives would would obey their commands. Ah, uh, and what about those other operatives? From there we see that the Scarecrow and Olga managed to commandeer a ship in the Atlantic. The Sandman has infiltrated an embassy dinner somewhere in a foreign land, and he's there to get state secrets. Meanwhile, Mr. Freeze and the Siren manage to steal a device called the Moleculator from a secret lab in London. Now back at the Batcave, Batgirl is revived after being given a whiff of bat sleep somewhere off-panel, and the three heroes have a video conference with Ilya Napoleon. Clues left behind the previously mentioned capers are then analyzed, and the culprit's handiwork is deduced, which the trail leads our heroes then to convene in Monte Carlo where there will be a royal party with many industrialists in attendance. Ilya and Napoleon fear that they will be recognized by thrush agents who may be there. When Batman suddenly removes his cowl, saying no one will suspect he'd be out of place as Bruce Wayne. To be continued. Okay, so, the big reveal. Or is it? I presume this is a ruse of some sort, and I find it doubtful that Bruce is ready to reveal himself to Batgirl and the men from Uncle. But if so, how does he explain it? Okay, I confess, while I've seen the quote-unquote shock identity reveals before, I really want to see where the story goes from here. I love this cast of characters. I like that Batgirl is working alongside Batman and Robin with no chauvinistic asides questioning her abilities. I can't wait for the next issue, and it's been a while since I've been eager for the next chapter of this title. This does read like a chapter, though, and Parker does have a lot of characters to move. I think he's doing a pretty good job with it so far. I didn't notice too much of a slight art change that affected the story overall. Now, over on the TBU website, Jerry Green gave this 3.5 out of 5. I'm bumping up my score as well, giving this 7.5 out of 10 bats. Okay, before I go, Stella previously mentioned a message on the board from Glenn Garrell. Hi, Glenn. Glenn, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, and my sincerest apologies if I mispronounced your name. It was nice to hear from someone who loved Batman 66, number 30, as much as I did, and as you said, perhaps even more. Sometimes I think I get a little frustrated when I wonder if bad fans are missing out on something very special that comes along like Batman 66, number 30. You restored my faith a bit when I read about the impact the issue had on you. Uh, now as for Stella, yeah, uh, you called it. <coughs> Didn't read it. <coughs> But I I wouldn't put her judgment into question, though, since she's letting me on her podcast. Thank you, Stella. But yeah, Glenn, your instincts were right. By the way, I enjoyed your past comments on the TBU message award. I hope you keep writing in, and thank you for your thank you. Listeners, please feel free to leave any comments on the TBU website, and please leave us a good review over on iTunes. Thank you for your support. Has Batman really revealed himself to Batgirl and the men from Uncle? Who will make it out of the party unscathed? Who is the unseen leader of Thrush? Is it the Penguin or someone else? The answer to these glaring Gabby Gaffs to be gaped, gauged, and gleaned next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris.
0: Now it is time to pay our respects because it is the last Babs in the Tube for the 1977 New Adventures of Batman TV series. Which means that that segment will most likely go on hiatus, may replace it with something, maybe, you know, reading with Stella again, who knows. But here we have Babs in the Tube. Remember that this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of barbara gordon in the media whether it be tv or film and currently i am watching the 1977 new adventures of batman tv series so this is episode 16 the air date was may 26, 1977 starring adam west as batman bruce wayne burt ward as robin dick grayson lou scheimer as batmite in the back computer melanie Britt as batgirl barbara gordon lenny weinrip as commissioner gordon and zarbor so the only bad thing about this is that the previous two episodes Zarbor was the main villain and he got all the villains together but Barbara Gordon didn't take place in them so I'm not going to, you know, show them off. So you just have to imagine that Zarbor has interacted with Batman in the past. So seeking revenge on Batman and Robin, Zarbor uses a mind altering ray on both of them, turning them into the villainous Crime Crusaders. With Batman and Robin helpless to stop themselves, only Batmite is left to rescue them and defeat Zarbor. Take a listen.
11: Greetings, Bat-fans. This is Batman. And Robin, the boy wonder. And me too, bat Welcoming you to the new adventures of Batman. Watch us wage our never-ending battle of good versus evil.
8: Ride with us as we chase the greatest array of villains the world has ever seen, proving that crime does not pay.
11: Get set for thrills and action. Join me, Batman. And me, Robin the Boy Wonder.
5: And Batgirl. And me too,
8: Batmite. In the super new adventures of Batman. Batman.
12: breakfast Zabor (gasps) he's gone but but that's impossible
3: not now it isn't bye bye for putting the great Zabor into prison.
11: I think I gave up a nice quiet game of chess for this He's all yours, Bruce No, you
5: don't, Brucey boy I want a -a jar board
11: Batmite?
5: I mean, after all, he is one of my people So it only seems right that I should get the
11: Batmite?
5: Punch his lights
11: out and Batmite? Yes, sir Don't call me Brucey boy The bat signal That can only mean trouble Let's go, Dick
5: right with you guys first i gotta do a number on old dumb Zarbor. piece of cake <laughs> upside down cake hi guys did you take care of
8: zarbor batmite oh yeah no problem for karate experts such as myself
11: Zarbor's no problem for anybody anymore
8: Yeah, I can see him sitting in his escape-proof cell right now, wishing he could get his hands on
4: us.
12: (laughs) Holy headstands! What happened, Commissioner? Darndest thing I ever saw, Robin. I was working in my office when all of a sudden the
11: whole building did a big flip-flop.
3: Luckily, nobody was hurt
11: Only one fiendish fellow could levitate an entire building like this
3: Yeah, Sarbor But he's locked up You are wrong I'm free as a bird
11: (laughs) So, it was you
3: Yes, you guessed right, Caped Creepo But you won't be around long enough to collect any medals for it Why not? Because you are both coming with me. Holy lightning bolt, Batman! Look out! You shouldn't have done that, boy, Blunder.
11: Sorry to rain on your parade, Sarbor.
3: I'll be back. <laughs> For you, Batman.
5: <laughs> he took Robin away. Poor Robin. <laughs>
11: Don't worry, Batmite. We'll get Robin back.
5: Oh, good. That's your load off my mind. Dad, look. City Hall's right side up again.
12: Well... That solves one problem, Barbara. But now we have a bigger one. Finding out what Zarbor wants with
11: Batman and Robin. Maybe the Batcomputer can come up with some answers.
3: Holy conspiracy! What do you want with us, Zarbor? I am going to rule the entire Earth. And you and Batman are going to help me. You're nuts! Am I? You're already here, and Batman will soon take his place beside you. You've forgotten one thing. Oh? We never help turkeys like you. (laughs) But of course you will, dear boy. After my mind array converts you to a more, shall we say, sensible way of thinking... Now, don't run off. I'll be back again with your blundering buddy, Batman.
11: (laughs) Batcomputer, do you have any idea where Zarbor has taken
2: Robin? Negative. Zarbor could be anywhere. He has amazing powers.
5: Big deal, so have I.
2: Not like Zarbor.
5: Oh, yeah? What's this?
11: Not now, Batmite.
5: I want to teach this big box of bat a lesson. <coughs> now, there's amazing power.
11: And there's
2: the Bat-Signal.
5: The Bat-Signal?
2: <laughs>
5: What's so funny? That's the result of amazing power.
2: The most amazing thing about your power is that you've survived it this long. <laughs>
7: What's
11: up, Commissioner? What's up? Half
12: of Gotham City is up, and I'm fed up.
3: It looks like another one of Zarbor's lures to trap you, Batman. Be careful.
11: Thanks for the warning, Barbara. I'll keep my eyes open.
3: Batman! There he is! Hello, Batman! Pardon me for being so... uppity. <laughs> Get it? tea? Yeah. His sense of humor's as bad as his manners.
11: Now listen here, Zarbor.
3: No, you listen, Batman. Either you come along with me now, or I snap my fingers and we have the world's biggest brick pile.
11: You wouldn't.
3: He would, he would. Zarbor, over here. What? Batman, you tricked me. Look out, he's trying to snap his fingers. Batmite. Press the orange button. Roger, Dodger. You pulled your last stunt, my dear friend.
11: Not quite.
12: what I call a flying tackle.
3: Let me go. Let me go. Oh, no. Now we'll have to start looking all over again.
12: But finding Zabor is like looking for a needle in a haystack. Where do we start?
11: A good question, Commissioner.
5: I know. We start with my sniffer. I can smell an Ergonian 50 miles away.
11: What do I have to lose? Have you got anything yet, Batmite?
5: Yeah.
11: <laughs> Cold. Come on, Batmite. We've been driving around for nearly an hour.
5: We're getting close. I can feel it. There. I smell it. I smell Zarbor.
11: Good work, Batmite. Which way? There. Zarbor is on Mount Rushmore? Ah!
5: That's what my nose says.
11: Well, I hope your nose knows what it's talking about. Come on, we'll take the Bat-Gyro. All right, Batmite, here we are. So where's Zarbor?
5: I don't know, but keep moving.
3: We're getting warmer. This is my lucky day. I can hardly believe it. Batman is delivering himself right to my front door. Unless I can rescue them. At last, I have the dynamic duo where I want them. On my side. Once I throw these switches and my mind machine takes over, they'll be known as the Crime Crusaders.
12: Mr. President, the Navy Department has recently...
11: Good evening, gentlemen. Batman and Robin, what an unexpected surprise. We're not here as friends, Mr. President. We are now your enemies.
2: Enemies? But I don't understand. Is this some kind of joke?
3: (laughs) No joke, Mr. President. Me and the caped crusaders are going to rule the world. They're crazy. Grab them. (laughs) Just like little fish out of water. Right, Dynamic Duo? Right, Zarbor. All right, get to work. I have a worldwide television appearance to make.
5: Bat-mite? I was trying to find Batman and Robin, but my finger got stuck in a horn, and I didn't know where the starter was, and I... Never mind. Any luck finding Batman and Robin? Well, no, but I...
12: Batgirl, this is Commissioner Gordon. Do you read me?
5: Go ahead, Commissioner.
3: Turn on your bat vision. You won't believe it. Leaders of Earth. My name is Zabor, and I have come from the dimension of Ergo to take over as your new world ruler. And the famed crime crusaders, Batman and Robin, will assist me. Batgirl, how? Shh! Do not doubt my powers, for as you can see, the president and his chiefs of staff have discovered the hard way that I am deadly serious. But I do not believe in standing on past victories, so here is a new display of my powers. Somehow, Zarbor's turned Batman and Robin into bad guys. We've got to find them before it's too late. Commissioner, Batmite and I are on our way to Washington.
12: Right, Batgirl. And good luck.
5: But... but girl washington is four hours from here not if we use the jet boosters
3: we'll be there in 10 minutes things are happening very quickly now my evil friends and banks all over the country are waiting for you to pick up my oh i mean our money whatever you say sarbor excellent now you will need some transportation to carry my I mean our money in Here is the list of all the banks donating money <laughs> Now get going crime crusaders and if you need me I'll be here at our new white house <laughs>
11: That's an even million dollars, Batman. Robin and I and Sarbor, thank you. Why are you doing this, Batman? Two reasons wealth and power.
5: <laughs> Batgirl! I shot a Batmobile down that street!
11: Well, Robs, another bank, another million.
2: <laughs>
5: Hi, Cape Crusaders Hey, wait up, guys We want to talk to you
8: They're still behind us, Batman And starting to gain I'll take care of that
5: Stay with them, Batmite. Use your magic. Good idea. See ya.
8: That smoke screen worked like a charm, Batman. Good.
11: How many banks are left? Three. You know something, Robs? Crime does pay.
8: (laughs)
5: Hi, Kate crusaders.
8: Not anymore, Batmite. We're the crime
11: crusaders. Now buzz off.
5: No way. You're still the good guys. Cyborg's mind ray has just messed up your head.
11: Buzz off, Ratmite.
5: I'm staying.
11: You're going.
5: Staying.
11: Going.
8: Going. Right on, crime crusader.
5: <laughs> Batmite, are you all right? I think my ego was bruised. What happened? I was given a heave ho. But Batmite doesn't give up easily, and I think I've got a plan that'll turn Batman and Robin back into good guys. See ya, Batgirl! Batmite, wait! What's your plan? Sometimes this job is really a pain. Listen to me, Cape Crusaders. I've got a plan that'll break Cyborg's mind race spell. Out of the way, Batmite. Look at this. Remember this caper with the Joker? You don't want to turn out to be a creep like the Joker, do you? Yeah.
8: I remember that
11: caper. Out of the way, Batmite!
5: Well, how about the...
11: Oh, boy! Fill it up. You've gone too far, you pint-sized turkey.
5: Remember these capers, guys?
11: Oh, I'm getting a
8: headache.
5: Holy migraine! Same here. That means it's working. Keep looking at the pictures, guys. Did your plan work, Batmite? We'll know in a second.
11: Batmite? Batgirl? What... what happened?
5: Sarbor turned you into bad guys with his mind ray. Holy brainwashing.
8: Yeah, now I remember. We were helping him take over the world.
11: Somehow we've got to stop him.
5: There's only one way to cut off Sarbor's powers, Cape Crusader, and that's with a solid steel box. But the problem will be getting him inside it.
11: You're right, Batgirl. That's a big problem.
5: No, it isn't. I've got a plan that can't fail.
11: At this point, anything's worth a try.
3: Taking over the world was easier than I thought. Especially with the crime crusaders doing most of the work. Right, fellas? <laughs>
11: We have a couple of surprises for you, Sarbor.
3: Batgirl, how did you ever manage that? Piece of cake. We got Batmite too, boss. Batmite? Oh, this is my lucky day. Want a closer look? <laughs> Funny, I don't smell energonium. You take me for a fool? Give it up, Zarbor. Zarbor never gives up.
11: Now, we've had it. He's in the Batmobile.
3: Let's go.
12: Use the Bat-hooks.
11: Use your remote device and steer the Batmobile near that garbage truck. I'm going to try and put Sarbor where he belongs. Right, Batman.
3: What is this? Good.
11: Hold it there, Robin. Adios, Sarbor. That
3: is no fair. know something, guys? I think Zarbor has found a new home. Cat soaks. It smells in here. Help! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bat message.
8: Well, Batman, old Zarbor is finally behind bars. If it hadn't been for Batmite. Batmite.
5: Uh-oh. <laughs> Locking me up in that dumb box, huh? We'll make it
8: up to
0: you.
5: Cross your hearts.
0: Cross our hearts.
5: Okay. Teach me how to drive the Batboat, Batmobile, Batcopter.
0: And finally, my literature recommendation. I again have three here. I think maybe last time I had four. Different tones, of course. First up is a separate piece by John Knowles. A separate piece is set at a boys' boarding school in New England during the early years of World War II and it's a harrowing and luminous parable of the dark side of adolescence so we have gene who's a lonely introverted intellectual and phineas who is this handsome taunting daredevil athlete and something happens between the two friends one summer like the war itself that banishes the innocence of these boys and their world And next up is Beloved by Toni Morrison So Sethy, I'm going to assume that's the pronunciation Could be wrong The protagonist was a born slave and escaped to Ohio But 18 years later she is still not free She has too many memories of Sweet Home The beautiful farm where so many hideous things happen And Sethy's new home is haunted by the ghost of her baby Who died nameless and whose tombstone is engraved with the single word Beloved And who may have just returned from the grave and my final one is Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. This novel alternates between two settings. The first is 1930s Moscow where Satan appears at the Patriarch Ponds in the guise of Professor Woland, a mysterious gentleman magician of uncertain origin. He arrives with the retinue that includes the grotesquely dressed valet Koroviev, the mischievous gun-happy fast-talking black cat Behemoth, the fanged hitman Azazello, the pale-faced and the witch Hella. They wreak havoc targeting the literary elite and its trade union Masalit, and uh, its privileged headquarters is Gribel Yadov's house, which is made up of corrupt social climbers and their women, wives and mistresses alike, bureaucrats, profiteers, and more generally skeptical unbelievers in the human spirit. And then the second setting is Jerusalem of Pontius Pilate, described by Wolland in his conversations with Berlioz, and later echoed in the pages of the Master's novel. And this part of the novel concerns Pontius Pilate's trial of Yeshua HaNosri, his recognition of an affinity with and spiritual need for uh, Yeshua and his reluctant but resigned submission to Yeshua's execution. And it's all a bit of a... Um, Satire because at that time, Russia at that time um, were filled with atheists, so it's sort of um, poking fun at that. So, there you go separate piece, beloved, and Master Margarita three different times in history, three very different novels. Well, thank you so much again for listening, and thank you to Professor Allen for popping on and discussing some vintage issues with me remember you can send any questions or comments to backrolloracle@gmail.com. at gmail.com remember if you are interested in coming on the minority report and just sharing your insight or your history or you know your background and what you think please send me an email backrolloracle, and, and let me know like the show on facebook or sh- follow it on twitter at Oracle follow the batman universe on facebook and twitter as well and once again thanks to mile high comics for sponsoring back the oracle the barbara gordon podcast and until next time hope you all had a lovely valentine's day so fly on babs lovers
2: just plain barbara gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special batgirl cycle who knows is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling daredevil.
3: Ah, I love a happy ending, don't
7: you?
6: Sheep, have you any wool? Yes sir, yes sir. Three needles full, one to mend a jumper, one to mend a frock, and one for the little girl with holes in her sock. Ba ba white sheep, have you any wool? Yes sir, yes sir. Three needles full. Ba ba grey sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. One for the kin, one for the cats, and one for the guinea pigs to knit some woolly hats. Ba, ba, gray sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full.
0: Oh, man. Well, the church—that's th- th- some meaty topics there. The uh, church history and philosophy and religion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about the the Daredevil TV show. Okay. Yeah, we've talked about. We did a uh, a Hanukkah story. Oh,
0: a Hanukkah story. Okay.
1: Let's see, We're, we are uh, we are we uh, are open to all. We talked about the specter.
0: Oh. The yeah.
1: Great DC character, the specter. Yep. And many more exciting things to come. That's
0: pretty cool. Yep. Well, you're in a good time. You're in the mid- middle of Lent, so see, yeah, <laughs> this is yeah a good time. I was thinking, what if I ever gave up podcasting for forty days? Oh
1: man, that would that would be hard. It would be.
0: I gave up comics that one time.
1: Would, oh no, that that would be tough.
0: yeah, no comics, and I also did not peruse any comic websites. It was very hard.
1: Man, oh man, yeah. I gave up TV one year. That was hard. That was many, many years ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Oh, I've 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 not fallen for that tricking
0: Oh gosh. No
1: way. No well, way. Well
0: that's because there are too many good things on.
1: See? It does make it I guess theoretically that would make it more of a sacrifice. But picky, picky, picky. Yeah. So how are you feeling? Are you feeling good?
0: I am feeling good. Like
1: I was very worried about you
0: you were worried oh of days, gosh yeah. a couple of days ago yeah i uh well i didn't expect to get sick apparently the whole <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what it's uh didn't it sound like the whole family
0: yeah the whole family got ill apparently so it must have been this pizzeria that we went to but luckily i only had a banana after breakfast but my my stomach really <laughs> wanted to get rid of that banana something fierce yeah yeah so yeah But thank you for your concern. I made it back. I was stuck down there and sick and, you know, without my mother, which was sad, too. Oh, no. no. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I blamed her. I said, where were you? And she said, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. But,
1: uh, (laughs) Uh, How long have you been out there in Charlottesville?
0: Uh, This will be my, uh, I guess, 10th year if you're counting college. Because I went, this is college town, UVA. So I went to UVA. Then I went back home. And then I was just hired eight days before school started in 2010 <laughs> and then have stayed nice. up there. Yeah.
1: Very nice, yeah. very nice. Yeah, I lived in Richmond for about Oh.
0: 50.
1: Yeah, I went to the University of Richmond. Okay. And then we moved out from Richmond out here to Ohio about 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, wow. around, okay. Yeah, 99 now. Yeah.
0: Yep. Very cool. Shag, I finally That's met cool. him in person last, well, this recent summer.
1: Uh, on part of his world tour. Yep.
7: <laughs>
0: so that was fun. fun
1: yeah yeah we had a whole group here and uh, i guess you and you and tom probably right Yep, the three of you yeah that sounds like uh, charlottesville sounds like uh podcasting central
0: it does yes you'll have yes. to come down and visit on our,
1: on our on our next trip to richmond there you go my, wife, my wife's family still in richmond Ooh, and you
0: can bring emily you know,
1: can, exactly you know i can, dump the, dumped the wife with her family for a day way she's not listening, and then uh stay what no, sorry,
5: oh my gosh,
1: and then uh, and then uh Emily and I can swing out there to Charlottesville, yeah, it's perfect, It's okay. perfect, wow, did you hear you
0: when you said that
1: no, I don't yes, maybe, possibly oh wow, yes,
0: is she tolerant of your podcasting
1: yeah, she is uh she is somewhere between uh, y- yes At the, For, for there are lots of habits. Okay. That could, that 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 could cost a lot more money.
0: Okay, that's true. Actually, lots
1: of hobbies yep. and bad habits that could cost a lot more money than podcasting. Okay. I Think that's her approach.
0: Oh gosh. At least you do it during the daylight hours.
1: See. <laughs> <laughs> and she's and she she's pretty geeky.
0: Okay. I think we're you gonna, need gonna,
1: it. Yeah. We're going to catch up on some Supergirl tonight. I
0: think. Okay. Sounds good. So
1: there. So there.
0: Yep.
1: Great. Uh great to talk to you
0: yeah you too it was a pleasure if i find if i
1: find some cheap bad girl or some cheap birds of prey yes we will uh have to return the favor
0: i look forward to it
1: and have you on the quarter bin sweet and that's a promise oh and and in this political season okay you can believe Uh every promise that's made oh okay i am professor Allen, and i approve this ad oh okay wait,
0: what? You can't believe there's going to be some bloopers now. I was thinking to myself, there aren't going to be any bloopers. You stopped recording, right? No, it's still recording. No, no, what are you
1: doing? I I was about about to tell you what I really think about Tom Pannery. Tom Pannery. So I'm glad glad that you – please stop the recording.